Clubhouse. Attention all passengers. The temperature outside is minus 119 degrees Celsius. We are six years, nine months, and 26 days from departure. For your personal safety, be prepared to brace. So this is Paul with Pod Clubhouse. And this is Kat with Chef Online. And tonight we're here to talk about a major episode in Snowpiercer. This one is the eighth one of the first season. This one is called These Are His Revolutions. What'd you think? I know I've been saying it for the last three episodes, but this one was even better than the last three episodes. And a lot of action, a lot of gore, and probably a lot more reminiscent to the movie in some ways. Um, Mm, Yeah. But yeah, it was just so good. I I really enjoyed this one. There was a lot going on. Some things we got right, some things I I didn't expect. And I don't know. It was just fun. What, What do you, what about you? You know, from a podcasting perspective, usually an episode of Snowpiercer takes up about a page and a half worth of this notebook that I use because I've come up with a very condensed way of taking notes now after <laughs> years of podcasting. And this one was less than a page just because it moved so fast and fight scenes take a long time and don't really require <laughs> a lot of notes. But this one was over before I knew it. That final <laughs> that final scene with Pike doing the voiceover, I was thinking, is there still more? Is there still time for more? Because um, it just didn't seem like enough had happened, but it was over. It was uh, everything that had happened was it. It was just that it went by very quickly for me. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned the notes thing because I was actually just thinking, oh, I didn't have a lot of notes. I just wrote down like some one lines that stood out and then a lot of it was just observing, taking it all in because I love action scenes. I really just enjoyed it and and tried to see how they were doing it too because TV is an interesting one because they don't have the budget for crazy scenes unless you're Game of Thrones or Westworld. But I don't know, this one, I like the way they did it to kind of like the flashing lights with like camera movements. And then of course, I don't think they can show a lot of gore, even though it's TNT, but they also like did movements of like, you know, trying to make it gory, but you don't see it. So I don't know, I really enjoy just analyzing and watching the the action (laughs) scenes in this one and how they were able to kind of um, make it look really legit and more, to the caliber of what we've noticed in, in more of the like like Netflix and um, yeah. HBO kind of things. I think they got pretty close in this one. It felt a little bit more cinematic um, in, in to me. I don't know. <laughs> sure. Um, the, uh, the Definitely the uh, little fountains of, of blood every time they ripped back one of their t- tomahawks <laughs> flew into the air. <laughs> you know, it was very... Um, uh, Dexter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Blood splatter. <laughs> uh, right, exactly. Um, were there, I mean, there's there's not a lot to actually analyze about this one. I do have a few questions that I'd like to go over, but just more generally, this is two revolutions happening at the same time. This is the, the, the tail section and third collaborating on mm-hmm. trying to equalize uh, the train, try to, I guess, make it socialized, if you will. Um, but then at the same time, you have first making their coup against Melanie. That's a that's a kind of revolution also. 
I don't know if first even, I think they kind of realized where they got the info, but I don't know if they, they thought anything of it because uh, late Andre is the one that gave, um, set up the whole LJ to go look at the cabin and then go tell everyone. And so it's so silly that they wouldn't think that Layden would want anything um, or that they there wasn't going to be some sort of revolution and take advantage of the situation. So it was cool to see like that, rev- that uh, I guess, what is it, like coup against Melanie from the first and then seeing the other one coming up too. Well, I didn't even know that, that he had a coup in mind. I think he just wanted like unrest, <laughs> you know, which is what he got. And man, I, I have to question where they where they got Commander Gray from. Now we know his name is Nolan Gray. I've been kind of writing my character notes as we go along. And t- this week we got it all, Nolan Gray. <laughs> and uh, I kind of wonder where they got him from because he's not too good. I mean, he's, he's, he's intimidating and he's uh, rough on people, but... When he called all the Jacks forward for that fight in the first class lounge, mm-hmm. it seemed like a bad, bad idea, man. Bad idea, but uh, he couldn't be talked out of it. I don't know what was going on with that. <laughs> yeah. But but uh, it was interesting. Well, the intro, we've always been talking about who does the intro. And this one, in, in other ones, we're always like, oh, I don't know why this person was doing it or, or maybe this is why. But this one was blatantly fitting. It was Bruce. Mm-hmm. I know we were talking in the last episode about like, oh, Ruth is going to lose her shit if she finds out. And it exactly happened that way. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And she gave us kind of everything that we have been talking about. I mean, uh, I mean, I've been making the Downton Abbey comparisons all season and Mm -hmm. there she is opening the scene, arranging the silverware and shit like that. (laughs) That is very important to certain people in that society but most other people don't care about but it's it's important to them and there she was doing it and giving us this speech about the generosity of Mr. Wilford and the social order that he had developed and that she trusted in and she would defend as she saw fit it's it's interesting because obviously there's a lot of different backgrounds on the train and we've talked a lot about the british uh ruth <laughs> yeah but but yeah, and we've been trying to analyze her character of like why she's so loyal to Melanie, and but she's more loyal to the system, which is, which is we've referenced like the British um, like class system that they they have, and so that makes a lot of sense. And then, and then it got broken because <laughs> she it wasn't did. she thought she was answering to a king, and she was answering to like his second in command, which is not the same thing. <laughs> right, right. The. Uh... What is it? What's the guy from Lord of the Rings? Worm tongue? Is that the? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or peasant. <laughs> Just, but I so, wouldn't call Melanie a peasant. <laughs> no, no, she's she's somewhere in there. Not peasant exactly, but the engineering part makes her. I want to know more about that. You know the the we can discuss it when we maybe when we get to that that part. But it does pertain to Ruth. You know, Ruth is there to she wants to maintain order. Well. I'm talking about the scene where she passes her her sentence on to oh, yes, to yes. Melanie. All the stuff that was said, I wonder about Wilford, about about him just being kind of a manipulative um, ticket seller to her train. I really want to know more about that. You know, is it just a matter of perspective? You know, like mm-hmm. is it just that's the way she saw things going down because it was her baby and she wanted it to be this certain way. Or is there another explanation? Um, 
where he he is somewhat closer to what Ruth thinks of him as. I think there's so many secrets still, and I don't know if I truly believed that Wilford is dead. Yeah, me neither. Um, and I feel like maybe Melanie has to put out that lie. Obviously, first off, she's trying to save her ass right now, so she's that I think the way she's trying to play it is play it that way from the engineering perspective and that Wilford was not the man who she thinks she, he, I mean, that people think he is um, or was. Um, and I feel like that has to be Wilford and Melanie scheming and making those con contingency plans from the very beginning, because regardless, he made a train and like, I, I can't see someone like that, not uh, being so one dimensional, like how she put him in terms of, he just wanted to drink booze and, and uh, be with whores in the night car. Like, I, I don't know. Do you think like he, he would be that type of person? Because it just seems like, I know I've mentioned Wayland from alien franchise, like, they definitely are one-sided for their own gain, but they're not like, they don't give in to like regular human <laughs> urges, you know, like I feel like they have, <laughs> yeah. they have more of a genius outlook and they have a bigger picture kind of thing. And I would think that Wilford would be that kind of person, but maybe he's not, I don't know. Or this is just what Melanie's trying to tell Ruth so she can get out of this little pickle and then figure it out later. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think she was lying about him? I do think that, that there's a few things happening there. Some of it is truth. Some of it is Melanie's perspective on the truth. And then I think some of it is a lie. I think the part about leaving him trackside, I think that is going to be a lie. I think it's going to be something like she's going to pull out at the last second, you know, when they're getting ready to stick her head out one of those portholes to freeze off. She's going to say, I know where Wilford is or something like that. And that will redeem her. And then if he comes back and says something like, well, you kept my secret as long as you could, I appreciate that or whatever. Then all of a sudden, you know, she's looked on, looked on in a, in a whole different light. Um, not, you know, may, may never redeem herself completely, but if they uphold Wilford in such esteem and she protected him, that would be, kind of like that um that ben linus quality we were talking about last week yeah. where it just managed to keep bouncing back no matter what i think there is a little bit to like when they started pulling um henry the doctor started pulling people um in cahoots with a tailey out of people out of the drawers like i'm guessing tailies that got um drawered um that's the last, that last australian is, is that guy that's his yeah character, the last australian <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the last Australian. Um, so they pulled out one guy, they woke him up, and he started speaking Mandarin. And then he's like, why is he speaking Mandarin? And and then there, and then last Australian was like, he didn't speak at all, like, assuming he was maybe deaf or something. Strong so, boy was at least mute. He could take mute. their commands, but he seemed mute beyond that. Yeah, and so that made me think, maybe there's experimentation going on, and maybe... It could be, I'm still holding on to the Wayland kind of thing of like going after other life because you need to heal yourself and want to have prolonged life. Yeah. So I, 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 maybe it's just buying time because Melanie was also doing these experiments on these people in the drawers to maybe find a solution to, you know, maybe um, Wilford has something, right? And, and they're trying to fix him as well. Did you ever watch the short series on Netflix, Maniac? 
No, the one with um, Jonah Hill and uh, what's her face? Emma Stone and Justin Thoreau. Yeah. Um, was it? No. It? Yeah. Was um, it good? Yeah. Well, he was. He's very quirky in it. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's a he's a scientist that developed um, kind of this quasi virtual reality like therapy system. But he kind of goes off the off the rails a little bit, so um, he uh, lives in seclusion until they need him, uh, and um, so he comes in kind of halfway through the show. And mm-hmm. uh, but the reason I bring it up is that part of this therapy is, and this is what makes it kind of an interesting show. Every show is a little different in that the people that are going through this therapy are kind of hooked into this machine sort of matrix style and mm. they share that some amount of experience together, kind of reliving memories, kind of reshaping memories to tell a different narrative. And the idea is that it's meant to kind of excise these painful memories and make it something that they can they can live with. It was something that was that was messing them up and making it so they couldn't function before and the and so this therapy was supposed to like help them deal with with okay. those painful memories and so the reason I bring it up is this idea of being put under and having this like shared consciousness that makes me wonder if someone like strong boy could have been under hooked up to this you know group mind thing that I'm just making up right now no one's told me anything about it um <laughs> Uh, but that's all of a sudden how he gets injected with Chinese, you know, um, and knowing how yeah, to and speak. Yeah, he's able it. to speak. Yeah. Right. So if Wilfred is in one of those drawers, then maybe he's been infiltrating the other one. I don't know. I'm just trying maybe. to. I just want to think it's like that because I love the sci-fi kind of stuff. So I I want to hope it's something like that. <laughs> it does. It does open up the drawers from being just cold storage into something else, something Mm -hmm. more significant, something with a lot more possibilities. You mentioned the idea of the drawers kind of being a never ending source of a way to introduce new characters, but this is like adding a dimension onto that. Not only can they be new characters, they can be old characters that know new shit. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's that will be fun. And then I was even thinking that maybe um, when Strong Boy talked, it could be something where maybe like the consciousness of of, uh, of somebody else as well, like Wolford. Mm. Um, so I don't know if it's going to go that kooky, but uh, I just was my mind went there. So I don't know. It, it, it's fun though. It, it brings it when that happened. I was like, oh, there's another dimension to this. It's not just going to be um, people getting pulled out of drawers and then you know they're going to be the same kind of person it does change you and they've been doing some other stuff that we haven't learned about yeah (laughs) like henry and that's why he's so kind of weird and like a little messed up because i think maybe he's been doing things to these people and it's also messed with him in some ways so who knows he's been teaching them chinese in his his spare time (laughs) (laughs) yeah reading to them (laughs) right it gets boring you know on snowpiercer so I was thinking about the scene with Till and Jinju, where Till is telling her girlfriend, stay put, and how she is basically Melanie's right-hand person. Mm-hmm. Like I, confidant, yeah. Yeah, more so than Ruth. Ruth is a co-worker. Um, 
but Jinju seems to be at a higher level. Um, and, and they, that would explain a little bit about how she gets to see and do a little more than a bartender should be able to on, on the, on this train. Uh, so I'm wondering, you know, we have Melanie, um, we have Melanie incarcerated. Um, we have this, you know, the train under siege in different parts of the train in different levels of chaos, but we have potentially Jinju riding out this whole thing kind of on the bench, you know? And I'm kind of wondering if, if we, you know, I, I just made up that whole theory about her using, uh, Wilford, uh, as a, as a way to get out of jail, Melanie, that is. But in another theory might be that Jinju is there, is around to try to bust her out. You know, that's why she would stay home story-wise, maybe not, you know, actual character wise, but story wise, why she would stay home, let this stuff kind of pass by. And then she makes her way up train and busts out Melanie. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, just the way she reacted to Till, obviously she, and she, she even told Till don't like, don't make me choose between you and the train. So given what we know about Melanie and Bennett, they are all trained. Like that is their priority. First, uh, first thing they think about even before themselves Mm-hmm. So it seems like Jinju is in that um, little group where she is putting the train first other than, you know, besides herself. So we saw a few of her contingencies, at least one of them for sure, which was the lockdown button mm-hmm. um, that signaled Bennett to put the engine in lockdown so they wouldn't get through. Um, and then maybe, yeah, I was I had a question mark on where... Jinju was in this because she she was nowhere to be seen, but I just feel like she can't be not doing anything, especially when we had that conversation. And she obviously is an ally of Melanie because I think she knows a lot more. She knows the level that Bennett knows, and that's why he trusts Melanie so much because he knows it's bigger than than just like the the, the issues that are going on in Snowpiercer. So maybe she's going to be the one to. Um, if there is a Wilford to let Wilford out. <laughs> um, <laughs> ah, and, good idea. That's another good theory. Yeah. Or she will come and like in the next episode, it, I mean, that's her execution, right? Supposedly for Melanie. So I think there has to be some sort of um, save the day type thing. Or Jinju also will have to go and talk to Andre or somebody to be like, Hey, and tell them more of what she knows to convince them that like this shouldn't happen and maybe they will go and save Melanie. I don't know. I, I have no reason to think Melanie's actually going to be put to death in the near future. Um, yeah, I know. But wh- who she comes out kind of as an ally with, that is the bigger, bigger question mark to me. Cause you know, no one, she doesn't seem to have a friend on the train now, except for Jinju and Bennett. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's trouble for her. <laughs> well, and what do you think about the whole thing, the way it, the way it played out where like she knew that Andre was going to use the information, but do you think it really just took her off guard? Like she's always so calculated and can foresee people doing things, but like this one seemed to kind of blindside her. So I don't know if that followed the way her character is, or maybe she just couldn't, contain it as i don't know do you think that was a a good plot or do you think that was kind of like eh, 
we're just going to go with it because it's the story that's happening? Or do you think that was a little loose? It didn't strike me as too, too far fetched. I mean, she could have, there wasn't, there wasn't like security people down there with her when, um, when she was repairing the train. I mean, she, I suppose she could have told Bennett, you know, Andre Layton's back there. Will you kind of take care of that? I need to fix the train. That seems like a pretty reasonable thing to have done right then. Um, but then after letting him go, it was only another episode worth of time before the the coup went down. And and she knew that it, that there was a coup, uh, a Bruin, you know, back from the trial. But mm-hmm. I don't think she counted on... Um, Ruth being swayed, and I don't think she counted on the commander being swayed. And both of those people were right there. They were right at the forefront of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think I think her calculations were off uh, on this one. She didn't count on it spreading that fast, and she didn't count on it on the coup part of it. Uh, I think she thought she could probably s- squash another rebellion but she had she didn't give enough credence to the first class part of it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess everything that's been going on, it makes sense that she kind of slipped on that one and miscalculated a little bit. Yeah, that's all I can think because you're right. She has had contingencies and ideas and plans in place to save her ass um, throughout so far. If you had to pick a sequence in this episode as as your favorite or a scene or or, or a uh, line or, or just something, what would you pick? I really liked one train. <laughs> the the um, rally, which, the, 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 the pep pep speech or pep talk at the in the in the tale? Yeah, because I, I think we I mean we've seen Andre a lot in the season. Obviously he's one of the lead characters, but I feel like in the last few episodes he's kind of been on the back end a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so it was nice to see him back in as in the leading role because I, I wanted to see that. And when he comes, when he goes through and he goes to the Taylor section, I was also thinking like, oh yeah, we, we've seen the Taylor section from just one perspective uh, from him and a few other people, but mostly Josie. And we hadn't really seen a lot of the other ones. And so I feel like this one definitely showed the scope of the Taylor section as well. And like what they're actually fighting for and all the people in it. And so when he when he goes down the line and like starts rallying them up and gets them pumped up and then they like go and make their way, that was pretty awesome because I love a good I mean I'm a big like war war film a TV show like action all that stuff so there's always a speech before that and Braveheart so, yes the Braveheart um, even in like football speeches too but that's a different kind of war um, right but right. like any any type of speech is always um, Coach Taylor ca- at halftime yes. Coach Taylor, I mean, Bill Pullman and Independence Day, there we're you gonna go. fight the aliens. Like you need a good you need a good pep talk before you're gonna go and send all the people out to you know, you know that some of them are gonna die. So sometimes I've seen really bad speeches <laughs> in <laughs> film and TV and you're like, ooh, that was not very good. But I think David Diggs did really he 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 has a very like he has a presence and I enjoyed seeing him finally kind of unleash that a little bit uh, with this scene. So that was kind of one of my favorites before all the, all the other action scenes. Cause it, it makes or break it. Like, do you think he did a good speech? Do you think it was uh, like, what would you rank it in terms of 
pep speeches before war. <laughs> it was a good speech. It was the kind of thing that you needed to get them going. Emotionally, they, they had been building up to this point where they needed to ha to do this. But there's probably still some lingering trepidation about, you know, the I might die today kind of kind of stuff. And so you need a speech like this, especially on TV, um, to get you over that hump so you can be like, live or die. This is the this is this is what I'm going to do today. And mm -hmm. um, he got them to, to do that. And that which leads to my favorite scene, which is the the night care night car assault. Um, mm -hmm. This whole time, I don't know why, um, I had been just thinking, just maybe by the coolness of his presence, that Andre could kick people's asses. But we never saw him do it until today. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. I just assumed he could. <laughs> well, I mean, he's been getting his ass kicked more so in this up until now. <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, it turns out give a guy a tomahawk and and he's a totally different man right um yeah he definitely held his own i mean in that fight sequence was as brutal as you'll see on cable tv um yeah as you know it kind of matches up with i think um sons of anarchy uh type violent scenes maybe not a hundred percent sons of anarchy i'm thinking you know like Otto biting off his own tongue or whatever. That's pretty rough shit there. But um, still, this was pretty rough. I mean, did, didn't did we see it was it was the like you mentioned, the, the lights were flashing in the and the camera kept moving and it wasn't focusing on anyone that's not um, Andre. Andre had a few mm -hmm. hero moments there. But when, yeah. the, when the camera's just going around, it's not making a, too big of an effort to frame up certain things like did did we see Astrid get her hand cut off? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. That was pretty gnarly. I, I just wrote down in my notes, gnarly battle scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or I think we were supposed to recognize some of the tailies. Um, like the the one that Andre kind of nodded at shortly before he got yes. the sword through the chest. Oh. Um, I didn't, That was good. <laughs> I'm not sure who that was, but I think I should have. Um, <laughs> unnamed Tailey. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. R.I.P. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or um, the the girl that they kind of featured as the message runner in this one with the birthmark on her face. She yeah. she got taken out in just one episode, uh, unless I missed her earlier this season and didn't notice. Yeah. Yeah. It was it, it was really good. I think it was um, there was also a shot where um, I don't know, my battle, my, my battle benchmark for TV now is Battle of the Bastards from Game of Thrones. That's kind of tops, right? I mean, yeah. So that's my, like, sometimes I'll just go and watch that over and over and it makes me feel better, even though it's a very, like, <laughs> it's a crazy intense thing, but it just makes me so happy because it feels like a movie battle and it's even better than some of the movie battles we've seen. Do you go all the way to the capture of Ramsey and Winterfell? Yeah, I yeah. kind of like, I could stop it. I love just seeing the beginning of the battle and then when Jon Snow's holding the sword and the horses are coming at him, like, oh my God, I could just watch that over and over. But in that scene where they do the, um, like kind of the overhead shot where all the people are piling up, the soldiers, and in uh -huh. this car, like we saw an overhead shot where there was a bunch of people and it just felt very chaotic and that becomes suffocating in itself, just being crowded. And I was like, oh, I don't know if that was pulled from like the Game of Thrones thing, but it just reminded me of that. And I was like, oh, yes, like being claustrophobic where people are just swinging at you. 
that's terrifying, even uh, more so than just being like on a battlefield where you can maybe escape a little bit. But like, I don't know, something about claustrophobia and war is very terrifying. And being in a car where you can't really get out, you know, like there's nowhere to go, really. So you have to go through the other person in this one. So I think it made it very effective. Close quarters fighting like that. And Mm -hmm. especially they're armored, they're trained, you're rabble basically, with sharpened metal sticks as your weapons. Yeah, tetanus. I kept thinking of like tetanus. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't want to get stabbed with like a rusty old thing that they found in the Taylor section. But hey, um, but yeah, and also if you think about it, like the Taylors needed to just be on adrenaline because obviously they haven't been fed um, very well and they, I'm assuming they're, they're very weak in that sense. So they are literally running on fumes just on the spirit of revolution. So it just made it all more intense, I think. Boy, that term revolution comes up a lot, right? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, they were about to reach Chicago, which we learned is where they started. So that's a revolution. And then we have the all there. These are all these are his revolutions. So that's Ruth giving credit to Mr. Wilford for saving them, like the revolutions around the planet on their on his train, they owe to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have, of course, the revolutions that we've been describing, both the first class coup and the third and tail section revolt. Um, I think the writers might not get enough credit for that one on this week. I'm not sure, but I'll, I'll give it to them. That's that's clever sh- shit there. Yeah, and if you even want to take it even further, it's like. It's very full circle. <laughs> ah, nice, nice. Because <laughs> if they if they're starting if they, if they pass Chicago and that's where they started, you know, you can take it in that sense of um, that kind of thing. But yeah, I think that was pretty awesome. That revolution could mean several different things in in that sense, and that's pretty clever. Going back to the the scene with with Ruth and, and Melanie in in the in the office there, that seemed to be probably the most important scene in the whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. the part where Melanie is, she's not, she, the only way that she's, uh, bargaining for her life here is that she's, she's trying to give her side of the story, but she's not like laying down for Ruth. Exactly. She's giving her more quote unquote truth than she's given her before, but you know, she's not promising her anything or or trying to get out of it exactly. Yeah, listening to her did sound like you were listening to um someone, I don't know the right the right diagnosis, but but someone with uh, emotional problems or mental problems of some sort that could justify anything um that they do for some higher cause. And in this case it's it sounds the same as crazy ramblings, but in this case, this is the the last of humanity. So it kind of is true that, that the things that she's doing are justifiable. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. I would just, maybe it's my own personal baggage from hearing that kind of stuff from other TV shows. But in this case, it's true. Mankind does depend on those hard decisions. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I, I've been thinking a lot about, I think, just given everything that's going on in the world uh, with COVID and everything, I'm like, why don't we listen to our scientists and, and all that, right? Like, and, and listen to science and, um, 
the, the smart people and all that. And I know there's been arguments of, well, the kind of a thing where they wouldn't have the emotion or like they're, you're looked at if you if you think in that way that you won't be able to make a human choice, you know, like the human variable of that equation. Mm-hmm. You'll just, you know, like like the way she is. And so I understand that part of it. But I also think like in this case, like you mentioned, you need someone like Melanie to be thinking big picture and not have so much of the human variable because that's it then. And so I think Ruth is just coming from a very human emotion and like, oh, you, you, you lied to me, you know, <laughs> and and it's like, and she's not stopping to think of like, well, why would Melanie lie to me? Like we're on a freaking snow piercer where there's literally nothing else. Like we've been doing this day in and day out because we're the last of humanity. It seems very petty that Melanie is just doing this for no other reason, just to spite them. Like that doesn't <laughs> right. make that, that doesn't make any sense either because like there's literally nothing for her to gain besides more problems um, she's like the super lonely position of like having to tell those lies to people. Like, it's not like LJ that like she revels in people. Um, like she gets high off of kind of, uh, doing bad things. Yeah. Make people squirm. Me- yeah. And, but Melanie is not like that. So I think if Ruth were not, she's very much reacting right now f- from like, oh, she feels wronged. But if she were to like stop and really think about Melanie's actions and like why she would do that. I think she would understand like, Hey, we're like on this, on this train that like it could stop any moment and we could all die. Like, right. I don't, I don't, I don't understand. Like, um, I, I don't know. Right. Cause in that sense, what you were talking about is it's just like the grand scheme of things. And in other, in other movies and other TV shows, it's just kind of a psycho who like thinks they're doing something good for for humanity and justifying all the bad things they're doing. Exactly. But in this case, Melanie has had to do that and I kind of am on her side in that sense because it I don't know if I would agree with all her choices but if she thinks that's the right way to keep the the order um and have it in the big picture I mean uh, I don't know I'm kind of on her side are you on her side a little bit um in several ways yes it was Westworld um where um when it got to the part where Dorothy releases the Rehoboam information into the world, just to, mm. just to, just they, she, she thought everybody deserved to know, and yeah. that uh, everything would just sort of settle out uh, in a very equal fashion at that point. <laughs> and as podcasters, we asked ourselves, you know, would you want to know this this shit that that you were going to be told, and I voted for no. I voted for, you know, I I can understand like from a historical perspective if I was if I was existing 50 years from now and this revolution happened uh where people knew information that they didn't know before, um then I could be like, yeah, great. I'm glad that happened, but in terms of like taking my family through it and and not all of us are going to make it. I, I don't know that I could make that same decision, you know? And um, the reason I bring that up is that I think um, the, the train may not be better off knowing about Mr. Wilford mm-hmm. at this point. Um, Cause if the, if the, if their thinking now is to put 
the bed and breakfast woman in charge of the train. First of all, I don't <laughs> think that's going to happen. I think she will be a puppet for Commander Gray and the Folgers and whoever else. If she yeah. is, if she is ever installed as the leader of the train, but then um, they they are not growing engineers on their very limited number of trees. You know, yeah, they're having to start them when they're like ten in order to learn enough to be trusted with the train. In the case of Miles, exact uh, for for instance, so even even. If she had pissed everybody off to the point of no one can trust her, she still is the only person that knows everything about this train, and there's only a handful of those people left on the uh, in the world. So, even if it's like life incarceration, um, th that's what you should do with her. If you're if you're Ruth, you should definitely not kill the person that knows everything about the train. Yeah. So I'm yeah. I'm I'm with Melanie for a lot of different reasons on this. Yeah, I don't think they're stopping to think like the Folgers and the commander. They I think that's also a testament to Melanie and the leadership that she has done for for all the revolutions that they've been um in because those people have obviously not felt the the like I guess the, what is it? The uneasiness that Melanie feels because she knows all the shit that's happening on the train yeah. uh, with, with like the technical stuff, with the food stuff, all of that. Um, and I think that they've been very secluded um, in their little bubble. And um, when they finally, if they do move forward with this and Melanie's kind of looped out, I think there's going to be some malfunction on the train and then they're going to be like, Oh shit, what do we do? So I don't really think, I think they really still believe in the Wilford mindset of, Oh, the, the, the engine is, uh, what is it? Eternal. And yeah. this, th we're basically, um, this train is like a superhuman and, and all that kind of stuff. And it just runs by itself. Um, and I don't think they understand to the extent that Melanie does. Um, doesn't that sound like the war boys from Mad Max? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so, it, you don't want to be on so their team. In some ways, like, so, <laughs> No, you don't want to be on their team. Um, so I think when people realize how important Melanie is, um, I don't know. I think it's going to be um, kind of a shit show if they. I mean, they're not. I don't think they're going to get rid of her. I don't think. I don't think Jennifer Connelly is going <laughs> to be axed. Um, <laughs> right. Right. But I'm definitely interested to see how that plays out because. I don't know the the it, it's it's really fascinating. I just hadn't thought about it in this way since until we were talking about information, right? And who should know it? Um, how much should they know? Is it beneficial for everyone to know everything? Um, and if one person knows everything, which Melanie, I am assuming she knows everything, it wrecks her. And she is kind of like on another level of human because she's an engineer, so she thinks in a different way. And I feel like it's one of those things where if you were to like kind of like injecting the matrix right like it's like if you're not ready or if you're if you don't have the brain capacity to accept it you're gonna just like die <laughs> die from all the overload of, of information and i yeah. feel like those people don't know what they're asking for is what i'm saying and the the theme of information and, and uh, knowing and knowledge is power kind of thing is is very important on snow piercer and yeah i think they just don't know what they're getting into <laughs> I think 
I think you're right. One way or the other, they're going to figure out that they need her. And uh, this silly execution thing will be put away before it even gets started, really. Well, I do have one thing. It's very short. Oh, but, please. Um, so I know we talked about Jinju and where she was. Yes. And I, I wrote down, where's Zara? Do you think she's significant at all in this? Or because she didn't show up anywhere? Or did I miss it? She was in one scene briefly um, back in the third class um, like cafeteria area mm -hmm. where um, they were patching up um, the wounded and Zara was helping with that. Okay. I don't think she was in any of the fighting scenes because if you recall, there were scenes when they said fighters to the front. Yeah. So I don't think she was in that group. She was laying low is what I got. <laughs> right. Um, because I don't think, uh, well, Andre hasn't stopped to, to really think about anything else, but he, he, I don't, maybe he hasn't connected the dots yet about Zara um, or he knows about it because they would have told him since they went to the Taylor section, but I don't think that probably will be saved for a later moment mm -hmm. <laughs> of confrontation. Yeah. Yeah. He knows Josie's dead, but I don't know that he knows the Zara pregnancy part yet yeah so yeah you're you're uh so if anyone missed her yeah she just kind of crossed in front of andre as he was making his way through the wounded and they didn't even acknowledge each other mm. yeah yeah let's see here so there are some other cool stuff that happens in this episode but it's not really important narratively like the subtrain stuff with the um I'm not sure what you kind of call it. It's like a crossbow sort of thing with the iron spikes. That's kind of cool. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Brutal. Yeah. Just left guys kind of pinned to the deck with metal coming out of their bodies in different places. Yeah. Um, and apparently we, we lost a, a named Taylor back there. Big John was the one that yes. went down. Um, but I don't really remember him from the <laughs> from the sequences in the tale uh, all that much. So uh, I guess he, he he built stuff like crossbows. Um, <laughs> I guess the last big question that I have here um, is about Pike. That was pretty creative, waking up Pike and figuring that he might be someone to turn against Andre. And he was so gung-ho back in the tale. Is he, is he just sort of like, um, we keep bringing up the Matrix, but is he just like their cipher? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like he just, he's, he's tired of, of living hard and he wants to go back to, to an easier life and he, he's willing to trade his soul to do it? Or what? Is he... Um, giving going to give them uh false information so that he can he can be part he can be the tail guy that he always said that he was what do you think i think sometimes you can't escape the human pettiness <laughs> that we have inside and even if you're on a train that's like the end of humanity you can still find ways to just be like you know what i really didn't like that guy and i don't really care <laughs> Um, and I want to get get him back. Um, and that's what it felt with like Pike in this situation. Uh-huh. Yeah, it may not be more complicated than that because yeah. he, he he was always a dick. I mean, that guy always plays dicks. 
I've never seen. Yeah, he's seen so good. Play. He's so good at it. I love him. <laughs> right. Um, so and, it might just be as simple as that. Yeah, and he's from The Walking Dead, right? He was one of Negan's top guys. Yeah, because I was actually going to make a reference to. Um, there was always a um, the antithesis to um, what's the 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 main cop dude Rick and. Rick. Yeah. So um, Rick always had like kind of the nemesis, like Rick was doing good, but there was always some other person, like the big evil guy who would like be, you know, being going up against him. And it felt like uh, resurrecting Pike and, and pitting him against Andre really felt like that kind of, we need a villain here um, besides the obvious villains of first class kind of thing. And it just adds another element to it. So I feel like it's, it's just another, it feels like another plot, like a subplot, before we get to the finale, is my opinion. Well, and his his advice is is, if I understand correctly, that that Andre has a threshold for violence, mm-hmm. at least seeing it done to other people, and that if you if if you keep pressing the attack, he'll 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 give up. He he won't let everybody die for this. Yeah, I don't know if I believe that. because it because if you think about like how do they know each other really you know like in the taylor section it's a certain kind of atmosphere um yes layden has been the good guy he doesn't like people suffering if you're decent enough you don't like people suffering um but if you're taking people to war you know there's going to be casualties you may not be able to stomach it but you will get through it and you will continue on and i think if if we've seen Andre do anything, he's going to persevere. So I don't think he's going to be one to be like, oh, no, all these people have died. I'm going to stop. <laughs> I don't know. Do you think there's going to be a point where he may try to negotiate? Is that maybe that's the sort of thing? Because maybe he won't like people dying. Um, but well, he's already lost Josie and Miles is an engineer. So, like, those are the two main ones that he loves, you know? So, I mean, they, they say that they want to get all the way to the engine, which is something that I recall from the movie being... Yeah, yeah, that's uh, the main thing. But I think they would, I think realistically, they should really be hoping to fight for more sort of like the American Revolution, where you just become such a pain in the ass to the people (laughs) trying to keep you under their thumb that they say, fine, fuck off, whatever. Um, Yeah. And I think that's a more realistic win for them than actually running the entire train. Um, because I think that's what they should be they should be fighting for is just the getting them to give up, um, <laughs> rather than taking them all down and getting them to see your ideology. I don't I don't know that that's realistic. Um, I don't know how you run the train that way either, uh, segregated yeah. like that. But they've been I, I don't I don't know I don't know I just uh I I just don't think they can take the entire train. Yeah. But it also doesn't make for good television. If, if they're just like, we're okay in second. <laughs> like, exactly. Exactly. So I think they, I think they have to keep pressing on. Like, <laughs> right. I'd be a bad like, TV character. They're like, this guy needs a little more ambition. He's, uh, <laughs> he just takes what like, he's I'm, given. I'm good here. I'm going to just go clean the engine real quick or the, the, the parts real quick. <laughs> All right, so this was, for me, um, a veteran TV watcher. (laughs) A surprise at 
number eight in the 10 episode season. I wasn't thinking that we would go balls to the wall like this just on a, you know, a random episode. This Mm -hmm. kind of stuff is ordinarily saved for big episodes like next to last or very last or, you know, season break or mid season break or something like that. Mm -hmm. So question that we always end with is where do you think it goes from here? Do you think it, they kind of let up on the gas a little bit next week or or what do you think? It's funny because I thought I had the show pegged from the beginning and it's actually in the last three episodes. I think it's really surprised me. And like you said, eight, I didn't know they were going to go balls to the wall. And I feel like what do nine and 10 have? (laughs) Right. Um, Right. But, but, I mean, going by that same kind of reasoning, I mean, bringing it back to Game of Thrones, because Game of Thrones kind of rewrote a lot of um, what to expect in a, in, a, in a show as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, there was Lost, but Lost did kind of the 22, se- 22 episode, and then they went to like 14. But um, Game of Thrones is really notorious for like nine was like always like a shocker. Right. And then the, se- and then the season finale was kind of the like just like low key putting a little bit of plot points for the for the next season. So for them to start off with eight balls to the wall, I don't know what nine and ten, like I don't know if they can do two slow episodes of nine and ten. So I feel like they either have to slow down the next one and then do another kind of crazy, maybe we see Wilford in the finale. Right, um, yeah. People, some, some other people wake up and then that kind of leads to season two. But um, I don't know, it's been really exciting because the last one was fun too and... I like that I don't know where it's going. And I also had the same comment that I had in my other ones when I was watching this one is like, I really just want to like tell people if you loved the movie, this one was very reminiscent of like the essence of the movie, this episode. Mm -hmm. And I hope they didn't give up. (laughs) I hope people, I hope people are listening to this and I hope they're still watching because it's just getting better. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, this was like I said, I didn't I didn't see it coming. I don't know what to expect next because I think there's got to be more fighting because yep. uh, of the way that this one ended. You know, he was basically saying go fight more and you'll get him to wear down. So they're going to have to test that next week. So more fighting. Um I think uh we're going to I think the idea that you had about uh, a problem with the train and then realizing that they need Melanie somewhere over the next two episodes that something mm-hmm. like that's going to happen. I still think Jinju might figure in to yes. Melanie. So she might even break her out. The train breaks and then she goes to fix the train, even though she's already gotten away, but it doesn't matter because there's no such thing as getting away <laughs> on a train. Yeah. If the whole thing derails, you know, all that kind of stuff might, might come into play. You might even see by the end of it, Melanie and, um, and Andre having to essentially be teammates. Who knows? This season one has been so crazy that you could you could probably get from where we are now to there in the next two episodes. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm looking forward to it, though. And we'll be there next week to go over episode nine. And this has been Paul with Pod Clubhouse. And this is Kat with Shuffle Online. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. 
please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.